Welcome to Practical Christian Living. God brought Israel back into the land so that Israel would know that he's God. God brings Magog against them and there's a war where God destroys them and shows the world that he is God. One day, the world will go, how did Israel win? Israel might be a nation small in size, but Israel is strong and mighty because God is in charge of her days and is her protector and defender. Here comes our final installment in our series on Israel on the last days from Ezekiel 37 through 39, as we continue to look at prophecy foretold through the nation of Israel and how God is proclaiming his power through it all. If you've missed any part of this series or you want to hear it again, you can go to calvarytucson.com and click on Teachings. Now, here's Robert Furrow. We go back to the beginning of 38 and we read this introduction of Gog. And it says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh. So it calls him a prince. He could be a human prince. I'm not saying he couldn't be. But I'm saying that it makes sense that if Gog is a territorial, demonic prince, like the prince of Persia, like the prince of Greece, that he would come back again at the end of Revelation. That when Satan is released, that this Gog over Magog would come back again with his influences and there would be a battle against this spiritual being once again. So as I said, I'm, I'm, I'm leaning that way. Again, I've reserved the right to change my mind, all right? But as I look at it, it makes a lot of sense that this, per, this, this, this person would be a demonic spirit. Now, it could be any one of those. But what happens to them? Well, they attack Israel. They come against Israel uh, from all of their different places. Let's read about the rest of this coalition because that's important. We pick it up in verse 4. He says, I will turn you around. I will put hooks in your jaw and I will lead you out with all of your armies, your horses, and your horsemen, all splendidly clothed in a great company with buckles and with shields, all of them holding swords. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya are with them. Those all stand against Israel today. Persia is Iran. Ethiopia is parts of Africa, including the Sudan, and Libya, which, if you know anything about Libya, right? The, the destruction of the embassy, the United States embassy. So all, all, all of those are with them. So we see that this coalition is around today. That ought to be enough for us to go. We don't know what some of these places are. We don't know exactly where Tubal or Meshish um, or some of these other places are, but we know where Libya is. We know where Ethiopia is. We know where Persia is. And we know that they are in a coalition today with Russia to come against Israel, to fight against Israel. They want to see Israel completely destroyed. It goes on to say here then with them and uh, with shields and then Gomer, which is the region. We, we, again, we talked about Gomer in Genesis 10. We know that Gomer is the region of Germany. Some of the other surrounding areas. Remember, lines have been redrawn since these nations. So it would include por portions of Germany. How they're involved, we don't know. That's one of the mysteries that we go, I don't know. I don't see quite how they fit. And all of the troops around them to Gomar with all of their troops all around them. Many people are with you. Now, they come against Israel. 
And they come against Israel because God brings them down against them. And we read about the judgment of Gog and Magog in verse, in chapter 39. Now, remember, God said, I will put a hook in your mouth and I will turn you around and I will bring you against them. So God is the one who is initiating this war. He puts in his, his mind the thoughts to go there. And we could talk about why he goes to take loot, to steal what's theirs. In chapter 39, verse 1, it says, now the end of the war, and you, son of man, prophesy against Gog and say, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against you, O Gog, prince of Rosh, Meshish, and Tubal, and I will turn you around and lead you on, bringing you up from the far north. So that's an, another kind of like if you're trying to figure out which one of these it is. Far north would be Russia. From the far north, um, it doesn't mean that God could not be a spiritual being. He could be a spiritual being over the far north and bring you against the mountains of Israel. And I will knock the bow out of your hand and cause arrows to fall out of your right hand and you shall fall upon the mountains of Israel, you and all the troops, the peoples that are with you, and I will give you to the birds of prey of every sort and the beasts of the field to be devoured. You shall fall in the open fields. I have spoken, says the Lord God. I will send fire on Magog and those who live in the security in the coastlands. So not only is he going to fight against them in Israel, on the mountains of Israel, which would be the Golden Heights, by the way. The Golden Heights are the mountains of Israel. There are a couple other mountains of Israel, but not many. So the Golden Heights would be where this takes place. He goes on to say in verse 9, And those who dwell in the cities of Israel will go out and set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields and the bucklers, the bows and the arrows, the javelins and the spears. And they will make fires with them for seven years and will not take wood from the field nor cut down from the forest because they will make fire with their weapons. And they will plunder those who plunder them and pillage those who pillage them, says the Lord." Verse 11, it will come to pass in that day that I will give Gog a burial place there in Israel, the valley of those that pass by the east of the sea. It shall obstruct travelers because there they will bury Gog and his multitudes. Therefore, they will call it the valley of Haman Gog, the multitude of Gog. For seven months, the house of Israel will be burying them. So it takes seven months to bury him and they will gain renown for it on the day that I am glorified, says the Lord. Now, if we read on, God says that he is doing this so the world will know that he is God. God brought Israel back into the land so that Israel would know that he's God. God brings Magog against them and there's a war where God destroys them and shows the world that he is God. One day, the world will go, how did Israel win? You can put 38. You can tell by the way I say it, I'm not sure. You could put 38 nations of Israel in, in Texas. That's how small it is. Just a couple hundred miles long and a few miles wide, 50 at its widest. And it points much narrower, much, much narrower. That's how small it is. And, and they will win. And the world will go, well, it can't be, can't be Israel. In fact, it says that Durdan and, um, ah, uh, 
Can't remember the other, the other ones here. Uh, yeah, I'll find it later. Let me quote it to you and you can look it up. It's Saudi Arabia. It's obviously Saudi Arabia. It says that Saudi Arabia, along with their young lions, and it gives a couple other places, just stand back and go, what are you doing? So it's like the puppet war that's going on with the United States and Russia, the part that is Saudi Arabia, the part that is the Shiites and, and Russia will go against Israel, and the part that is backing the Sunni Saudi Arabia will go, what are you doing? Why have you come to do this? It's like we can't do anything else but throw our hands up in the air, even though Israel is, um, we are allies with Israel in the Middle East. And I think that the young lions that are spoken of there could be us. The lion being England and us being the young lion coming from England. And that we're saying, what are you doing? But that's all we can do. We don't help them. We, we can't back them. We might try to help them as much as we can militarily, but it is so overwhelming that it will, we, we can't. God's got to do it. And when there is victory, when it's finally done, then the world will go. Something, we've seen something. There will be people who still deny the existence of God, to be sure. But much of the world will go, we've seen God move. And for us, this is foretold. We're seeing these things take place. Now, a few questions in closing. What, um, when does this happen? Does it happen before or after the tribulation period? It could have, probably has to happen, I would think, before the tribulation period for a couple of reasons. A temple is built on the Temple Mount. It's probably going to take a war for Israel to gain complete control over all of Israel and build on the Temple Mount. What does that mean to, for the Palestinians today? There are many Palestinians who are genuine born-again Christians. There has been a revival of, of Christ among the Palestinians. And here, here's what my hope would be. My hope would be that they would be able to coexist with Israel. I don't know that a two-state two solution will ever work, but that they would be able to coexist, that after this war, that the Palestinians would coexist and, and that Israel would treat them fairly. Because I, I'm, I'm not sure they are completely now. Hey, I love Israel. I stand by Israel. I think the United States is probably in the position it's in because it supported Israel. God says, I'll support those who support you. And I'll be against those who are against you. And I think the United States standing with Israel is one of the reasons that we're here. But that doesn't mean that horrible things should happen to the Palestinians. My hope is that Israel would treat them fairly, that they would be able to coexist in Israel, that they'd be free that they would be able to live their lives, that they would be prosperous. I mean, if, God, if, if, if Jesus doesn't return for another 50 or 60, 70, 80 years, maybe the Gog and Magog war is the budding of the fig tree and all of the other trees. Maybe that's when Israel gains complete control of, of, of Jerusalem. Jesus said Jerusalem would be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. And the generation that sees these things happen will not pass away. So we know Israel becoming a nation, that could be that, it could be that generation. There are people still alive here today who were alive in 1948 when they became a nation. Maybe it was when they took control of Jerusalem for the first time in 1967. Maybe it will be the, the Gog and Magog war that is still in our future. Maybe that generation will not pass. Who knows? And again, I'll say, there, there are all kinds of people setting dates now. Just get ready for it, okay? And don't be deceived by these guys. And some of them, unfortunately, are guys I respect. 
I think they're, I think they're great in their, in they're able to look at the Bible. They're able to cover it well. They're, they do good Bible exegesis, really good. But then they'll set dates. We're 73 years now on May 14th. We just had the 73rd anniversary of Israel being a nation. One guy said, I won't tell you his name, who I like, by the way, a generation is 80 years. That means Jesus is coming back this September. So he's setting the Feast of the Trumpets this September for Jesus to return, removing 70 years, excuse me, in seven, in, yeah, 73, removing from 80 years from it happening, removing seven years to get to 73 years, believing that this is the year Jesus is coming back. One thing I will guarantee you, Jesus will not come back in September in 2001 because it says at a time that people don't expect, I'm gonna come back. There's gonna be all kinds of people that are believing this guy and other people who are teaching the same thing. This is gonna become hyper uh, um, in the United States, in, in evangelicalism. If it drives people to Christ, then, then so be it. But setting dates, it's been so wrong before in the past. If you set every day, sooner or later, you'll be right. <laughs> Harold Camping set dates. All kinds of people have set dates. I could go over the dates again. I did it earlier in our, one of our studies. And it's silly to do. But we do know that the generation that sees these things start to happen will be the generation that will, that generation will not die off. Which could simply mean that people are alive in 1948, if that's the beginning of it, and who knows, then that could be 120 years later. So that could be 2068. So somewhere within that time, Jesus could return. If it's 67, make, do your math. If it's the war and Magog war, that's in the future from us yet. But if we see it happening, it's gonna be terrifying. And war is frightening. The Middle East is a mess today. 90% of Syria is living in poverty, below the poverty line. The, the death toll in Syria is staggering. The, the, um, the number of people that have fled Damascus. By the way, it's a whole other prophecy, right? The destruction of the city of Damascus. Maybe around the same time and maybe at a different time. But that Bible prophesies that as well. The complete destruction is unlivable. The city is unlivable. Some five million people have been displaced from cities in Syria that are still in Syria, and some three and a half million Syrians have fled Syria because of the war that's there. Devastating, absolutely devastating. And God's working in the midst of it. This, this war that comes will not be a celebration to us. It should not be because of the brutal death and the innocents that die in death. By the way, do you know that Israel did not strike places that missiles came from, from Hamas? This is going to date the study, by the way, for somebody who's listening to it in, in, in a little while. But do you know that they made decisions not to bomb the sites? Because they had set up their missiles where there were, were populations of civilians. And so Israel was all ready to send in the, the planes to take out the sites when the missile shot. The missiles would be shot and they'd go and they'd bomb the areas to stop the missiles from coming in from that area. Do you know that they stopped? They just said, too, there's too many casualties. That's, that's not reported by the news today. <laughs> You're not going to hear things like that reported by the news. But they realize they, they could have, if they wanted to, they're so much more powerful than Hamas, they could have wiped them off the face of the earth. So um, we are heading towards the end. Um, one, of the more, one of the other things that happens, could happen here as we look at this, could be the rebuilding of the temple. Because when a war happens and now they have control of the Temple Mount completely, they're able to rebuild their temple there. 
The temple could be built, but it may be that the temple was not where the Dome of the Rock is. It's said that the Dome of the Rock was built where Solomon's temple was. But you realize that there were, there were a thousand years between Herod's temple and the building of the Dome of the Rock. And you also realize that there was a complete destruction between Solomon's temple and the new temple that was built by Ezra and the, the third temple, which is, it was, uh, it made the temple bigger and more splendorous, Herod's temple, third temple. There is a place called the Dome of the Spirits that's on the Temple Mount. I don't know when we're going to be able to go back there again. Hopefully in 22, we're hoping. But there's a Dome of the Spirits there. And when we go up on the Temple Mount, I like to get everybody around the Dome of the Spirits and look underneath it because that's bedrock of Mount Moriah. And, that's, and if you turn around and you look back east, you're right in front of the East Gate, right in front of it. Seems to me they would have built the Temple with the, the door pointed out right at the east gate, which by the way, there's a prophecy in the Bible that says it would be walled up and it's walled up today. The Bible says it would be walled up and it's walled up today, but it's right in front of it. And you could build the temple there. And the Bible talks about a wall that hides the profane from the holy. Around the top of the, of the mosque, it says God is not begotten, neither does he beget. It says that over and over again directly against Christianity. So this temple will be built and a wall will divide it. And it could be that that wall is divided. And I've often said that might be the plan the Antichrist comes up with. He might go, we can have the Palestinians have, still have the Dome of the Rock or the, 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 the uh, Muslims still have the Dome of the Rock and have Israel have the temple. And everybody goes, what a smart guy. Let's make him ruler of the world. I think that's a possibility. So I think that, that this war brings some of those things about. And there, there's one of two things that happen next on God's calendar that have been foretold in Scripture. It's either the Gog and Magog War or it is the rapture of the church. And I do believe that the Bible solidly teaches the rapture of the church, that we will be taken out before. In Revelation 3.10, God says to the faithful church of Philadelphia, I will keep you from the hour of testing that is coming upon the whole earth. We are told that, that we will not see God's wrath and the tribulation period is called a time of God's wrath. Jesus said, you don't know what time I'm returning. I could return at any moment. Be ready. If it happens in the middle of the tribulation period, you, you're going to know when it happens. If it happens pre-wrath, you're going to know when it happens. That's two-thirds of the way through. If it happens after the tribulation period, you're going to know when it happened. You don't have to be ready for any of those. But you have to be ready right now because Jesus could return at any moment and he could return today. And the pre-tribulation rapture is the only view that holds that Jesus could return at any moment. All the others are saying, no, it's got to, we've got to see the start of the tribulation period. We've got to see the Antichrist come around. I'm, uh, I'm on a rabbit trail right now, so I'm going to wrap it up. Before I continue on down this rabbit trail, I want to do a teaching on the uh, rapture of the church not too far from now. Notice I keep saying I want to do these studies. I have so many studies that I want to do. We'll do them. So stand with me, would you, and let's pray. Father, thank you so much that we see clearly these prophecies that tell us of this coalition of nations that have never been um, in partnership before, and they are in partnership today. Iran and Russia, others. Lord, that the stage is set 
The actors have taken their places. The curtain is about to be opened. And Lord, we look forward to seeing that day. We want to stay away from the sensational date-setting kind of stuff, but we want to hold on to your word and the truth that we find in the pages of Scripture. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'd like you to keep your heads bowed, please, and your eyes closed for just a moment. I'd also like to ask that no one would leave early. We'll dismiss you here shortly, I promise. We're almost done. But I want to give you a chance if you're here today and you have never given your life to Christ. Remember that just because you come to church doesn't mean you're a Christian. Just because you believe that God exists doesn't mean you're a Christian. The Bible says, Jesus himself said, you must be born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. If you are born once, meaning born of the flesh, born of water, Jesus said, that's the flesh, born of the flesh, then you will die twice. You'll die a physical death, but then you'll die a spiritual death as well. But if you are born twice, born of the flesh and born of the spirit, you'll only die once. You'll die here and maybe not even then because there's a mystery that not everybody's gonna die, but will be changed in a moment and twinkling of an eye. But if you're here today and your hope is in the fact that you believe God exists, your hope is in the fact that you were brought up in church, your hope is in the fact that you're a religious person, but you've never invited Christ into your life. The Bible says in John 1, 12, that as many as receive him, he gives the power to become a child of God. So when you invite him in, you are transformed. Then God works in your life. And then you begin to do things that God wants you to do. You begin to desire those things. Everything changes. When I gave my life to Christ as a teenager, I was transformed. I suddenly wanted to do things that God wanted me to do. I suddenly changed. And God does that when you are born again. You come just as you are today. There's nothing you have to do to receive the salvation. He will transform you. He will make you into a new person. That's why you are born again. And baptism, you go under the water as the old man is buried and you come out of the water in the newness of life. And so if you're here today and you want to be intentional about inviting Christ in, you want to be intentional about being a Christian, you want to live for him more than just attending church once in a while, more than just saying you're a Christian, but really being a Christian and living for him, then I'm going to ask you to do something simple. You want to be born again right now, raise your hand. I want to make my way around the room and acknowledge the hands that are raised. Every eye closed, every head bowed. If you're online, you can respond. God bless you, sir. That's great. And if you're online, you can respond by just saying, I want to invite Christ in now. God's there. He can see you do that. If you're listening on Reach Radio, you can respond as well. All right, God bless you. That's great. All right. You can put your hands down, and I would like everyone, including those who raised their hands, and those online, those listening on Reach Radio who surrendered their lives to Christ, to repeat this prayer after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I confess that I've sinned, and I know my sin has separated me from you. I also understand that I can be forgiven by the death of Jesus on the cross. So I invite you into my life and I turn from my sin that I can live for you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Welcome to the family of God. 
Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.